It's good to see you here today. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Amen. I invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to continue our series going through the book of Acts together. If you're new to Destiny Church, my name's Matt Bell. I'm the pastor here, and I just want to say thank you for coming and worshiping with us at Destiny, where we believe that God's got a divine plan, a divine purpose for your life that's only found through relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way to live out our, our God-given and, and God-divine purpose for us is through relationship with God's Son, Jesus. Amen. So Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, this morning, and we're going to look at uh, about 30-ish verses or so today. But let me, let's, let's, let's set the context. Let's re-engage. Let's, let's remind ourselves of where we've been so far in Acts chapter 2. Actually, let's start in Genesis chapter 1 today. I got, I got the choir here today. I got the faithful here today. I, I feel liberated because uh, I know that you guys really want the word today. That's why you came to church today. Exactly, exactly. So I don't feel like I got to be so seeker sensitive today, you know. Anyway, uh, God is the creator of everyone and everything. The Bible says that God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. God created humanity in his image and designed us to, to live in relationship with him. You were designed to know God, to have close and intimate fellowship with your God, the creator God. But humanity chose not to follow God or to live in relationship with God, but rather to rebel against God and to break God's law and break God's commandment and instead chose to live in bondage to Satan. And when that happened, everything that God made that was very good went very bad. All of a sudden, there was strife between husband and wife. How many of you have experienced that before? Right, the, where once there was perfect harmony and peace, there's now conflict. Where once humanity was in perfect health, now there's sickness and disease and death that entered into the world because of sin. But, but, God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to bear our sins, to raise again to new life, amen, so that whoever would believe in him could be set free from the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of death and receive his eternal life, amen, hallelujah. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> and so Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. He had a group of followers about 120 or so that remained faithful to him through that whole time. And he told his followers to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon them. He commanded his followers to be witnesses for him, to be witnesses of the resurrection, to go and to tell the world about the new life that we can have in Christ. And so he ascended to the right hand of the Father He's now there seated on a throne. 
Jesus, the Bible tells us, is ruling and reigning today, that, that he's over everything, over every event, over all the events of world history, over the events of our lives, that he is sovereignly king of kings and Lord of lords. Today, right now, that's where he's at, seated in heaven on a throne. And in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of, of the first 13 verses, we saw that God poured out his spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, upon his church, that they began to speak in other tongues and other languages, and that people began to hear this, this mighty works of God, this miracle that was happening. Could you imagine if, if you were in a foreign country and nobody there spoke English and, and you just heard the sound of someone preaching in English? What would you do? That would get your attention, wouldn't it? You'd say, wow, that's amazing. The best sermon I've ever heard. They're just proclaiming the mighty works of God. It would get your attention. And that's what happened here in Acts chapter 2. And people were, were amazed. People were astonished because it wasn't just one language group. It was every language from under heaven. Every language was gathered there in Jerusalem that day for this feast of Pentecost. And so a crowd gathers and they're astonished, they're amazed, they're questioning each other. What does this mean? What is happening? God is doing something, but, but what is it that God is doing? And that's where we pick up the story in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this whole passage to us today, and then we're going we're gonna to walk through we're gonna put pit, We're going to pull out some principles for us uh, to live by today. In verse 14, it says, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, remember, last week we, we pressed pause on Acts, and we went and we looked at Peter's life. That Peter had, had been someone who had in his heart to serve Christ, but... In the end, he denied Christ. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. He was broken. But Jesus came and, and reached out to Peter and ministered to Peter and, and brought healing to Peter's life and, and actually told Peter, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. And here we see this Peter that was ashamed at one time to stand for Christ or to be known by the name of Christ now in the same city that just 50 days earlier had crucified Jesus, he stands up to preach about Jesus, this incredible miracle that's happening here. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And back then, they didn't have sound systems, right? And we know that the crowd is multiple thousands of people. So when it says he lifted up his voice... He lifted up his voice. I don't want to freak anybody out here today. But you can imagine that he really was shouting at the top of his lungs. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m., but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream, dream dreams. 
even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was impossible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, for he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it is quick and powerful, the living word. 
sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, that just on, on that day, as, as those men who heard this, they were cut to the heart. Lord, would your word on this day pierce our hearts? God, we desire to see a move of your spirit in our day, like on this day. Lord, we want to see you move in our families. Lord, that our children would serve you, that our aunts and uncles would serve you, that our fathers and mothers and grandparents would serve you, God. Lord, we want to see a great harvest, a great ingathering of souls, a great revival in our day. And so, Lord, we're asking you for a moving of your spirit upon your people, God. Lord, that we would be people who, who are like Peter, broken, flawed, full of, full of insecurities and, and even doubts. But when your spirit moves upon our hearts, that we, like Peter, will be filled with power, will be filled with strength, will be filled with boldness, and that your life would work in and through us so that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, but that we would share it freely and openly and honestly and truthfully and lovingly, and that your spirit would pierce people's hearts and that we would be able to lead them to you, to repentance and to faith and to baptism and to life in the Holy Spirit. God, we want to see a, a multiplication of harvest in our day. Lord, move in, in, in our city, in our community. Move in the churches, Lord, that are, are scattered abroad this city. Lord, that your people, that we would, would, would wake up to the call of God that's on our lives to be witnesses in this day and age. Lord, people that are hurting, that are broken, that need you. Because you, Jesus, are the only hope for our broken world. That you would wake us up. That you would burn in us, Lord, with the, the heart of compassion that you had for the lost. As you looked upon the multitudes and you were moved with compassion. That that same heart, Lord, as we see the multitudes. That we would not see them as obstacles to getting done what we've got to do today. But that they are what we have to do to be your people, to live for your glory. God, that your spirit would be poured out upon your church in a new way, in a fresh way, in a mighty way, and that there would be a great harvest, a great revival in this city, in our day. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. All right, so Peter's sermon. What a sermon. Man, I could give an altar call right now. Uh, okay, some of you want that, but anyway, I've still got some time on my timer today. Peter's sermon, this is the first Christian sermon. This is the first sermon where the gospel is presented in this way. This is, on this day, the day of Pentecost, this is the birthday of the church. Before this happened, there was just 120 people gathered together for a prayer meeting then God pours out his spirit on the church. The gospel is preached. 
People are saved, set free of sin, baptized, and 3,000 souls added to the church that day. And they go from being this disjointed movement of, of people just praying together to being a force for Jesus Christ in the earth. And Jesus is building his church. Today, Jesus is building his church that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. For the last 2,000 years, Jesus has continued to faithfully, diligently build his church of which you and I are a part of today. Amen. Amen. But we need to realize that the church is more than just coming and singing some songs once a week or coming and taking communion once a month. That being a church is, is, is part of, of being God's missionary force in the earth. That all of us are called to be witnesses to the life, the death, the resurrection of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, at Peter's sermon, it's, it's, it's a masterpiece. We're going to look at it, five, five different things we're going to pull out of this sermon today. Not only is this a masterpiece of, of preaching, of certainly spirit-filled preaching, but this is a, a blueprint for all of our lives of how we should live as spirit-filled people. We're going to see that Peter's sermon is actually a blueprint for not just spirit-filled preaching, but spirit-filled living. And spirit-filled living is what produces the results like we saw at the end of Peter's sermon. So the first thing that I want us to see is actually back from verses five and six from Acts chapter two. But the first point is that spirit-empowered people, that they go to where people are. It's, again, it's not just about coming here and having church. It's about going out there and being the church. And we see that this is what the disciples did, this group of 120 did when the Holy Spirit fell on them. We know they were gathered for a prayer meeting in an upper room. They were in a secluded area. They were, they were walled off from the community. But when the Spirit of God fell and the, the rushing mighty wind and, and the miracle of tongues began to take place, they left that upper room and they walked out into the streets of Jerusalem filled with the power of God. And that's what we gotta do, people. It's not, again, this is the third time I'm saying it, but it's just to underscore it. It's not just about coming here. Church is what happens out there, in the marketplace, in your family. And, and, and what would it be like if we lived our lives with the expectation every day that I'm getting up today, not just to go to work, not just to go to school, not just to go to HEB, not just to go to Starbucks, but, but I'm going out today to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And I'm going out today full of the Spirit of God. You need this revelation in your life. You need this revelation in your life. 
because there is so much work to be done for the kingdom of God. Have you noticed? Have have you seen what's happening in our world? Have you seen the the brokenness and, and the sin and the marriages that are falling apart and the families that are being destroyed by the devil? Our world needs the church more than ever. Our world needs the people of God to arise in the power of the Spirit of God and take to them the truth and the life and the Word of God. And listen, I'm doing, I'm doing my best, all right? But it's not just about one guy on a stage, right? It's about the body of Christ. It's about every single believer, accomplishing the plan and the purpose of God for your life. Now, I'm not trying to downplay church attendance at all. I'm glad that you're here today. We need this. Amen. We need each other. The Bible says don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. And so I'm, I'm, I know, again, I'm preaching to the choir today. I'm not trying to downplay that, but what I am trying to do is elevate what's happening out there and to give you a vision that we need to go where the people are. It doesn't do anybody any good if we have the Holy Ghost and fire coming down from heaven and rushing mighty wind and tongues and gifts of the Spirit. It does nobody any good if it stops here and doesn't make it to the parking lot and doesn't make it to Mamacita's and doesn't make it to USAA. It doesn't do anybody any good if it stays in here. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, there was this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies, and there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of humanity. But when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn, not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom, because God said that my spirit is now going to fill the whole earth. It's not just about coming to the Holy of Holies, just coming and meeting behind closed doors. It's about going out with the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our world, and God has called you to do it. Amen. All right, I've got five points today. Listen, it's interesting. The the people that that are, are here, what's happening, some of them are curious about it and have a question, what does this mean? Some of them are a little bit antagonistic against it. All these people are just drunk. They're crazy. And what does Peter do? Peter addresses their questions, right? He he starts with where they're at. He says, listen, uh, God is working, God is moving. And and then he moves them from where they're at. These people are drunk, they think they're drunk. And then he moves them from there to the word of God. And he says, let me tell you about how the word of God impacts this situation right here. And so this is a great example for us that we start where people are. We start where they're at in their walk of faith, in their walk with the Lord, in their understanding of scripture. But then we need to move them very quickly to what the Bible says and what Jesus says. And so that's the point too, that that spirit-empowered people 
are biblical. That they care about the word of God. And so Peter says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. He starts with where they are. But what's happening here is to fulfill what has been spoken by the prophet Joel. And he quotes the Bible. He quotes the Bible. I want you to know that the word of God has power. That there is power in the word of God. He takes them from where they're at and he takes them to the scriptures. He quotes David two or three times from the Psalms. Peter's message, his sermon is so full of the Bible. It's so full of scripture. And here's what we need to see, that we as God's people, we care deeply about God's word. Spirit-empowered, spirit-filled people care deeply about the word of God, deeply about the, the scriptures. He answers their question, but he answers it by saying, not, you know, I've got some neat ideas, I've got some nifty thoughts. He says, He's not, this is Peter's three tips on how to live a successful life. He says, let me tell you what God has said. Let me tell you about what the Bible says. And we need to learn how to do that with people because God's word has power. God's word has power. And so Satan is always trying to attack God's word. He's trying to undermine God's word. He's trying to discredit God's word. He's trying to shake your confidence in God's word. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, when the ser Satan comes dis disguised as the serpent, the very first words out of his mouth are, has God said? Did God really say this? So the whole work of Satan is trying to undermine and to erode your love for and your confidence in the word of God. But spirit-filled, spirit-empowered people, they know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That for people to turn from sin and to trust in Jesus in faith, that the word of God has to be shared and has to be opened. And so Peter starts with where they're at, but he takes them quickly to the scriptures and quickly to the word of God. And notice here, Peter's preaching without notes, right? He doesn't have a lectern set up. He doesn't have a PowerPoint. He doesn't have an iPad with 15 pages of notes. Peter stands up and he says, let me tell you what the Bible says. How does he do that? Well, he had it in his heart. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That Peter was someone who was prepared. He had studied God's word. And we need to know, Christian, you need to know that this is your life. God's word is the only foundation for your life. Jesus said, uh, what did he say? He who hears my words and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. 
The storm came, the wind came, but his house stood firm. Jesus says, he who hears my words and does not do them is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the winds came and the storms came, his house fell and great was the fall of it. Listen, the only solid rock we have to build our lives on as God's people is God's word. And if you will do that, I promise you, I guarantee you, I 150,000 bazillion percent declare to you today that if you will build your life on God's word, when the storms come, when the trials come, when the tests come, when the enemy comes at you, your life will stand. But if you build your life on anything else, your career, your finances, your wonderful personality, your dashing good looks, when life hits you, and it will hit you, it's all going to come crumbling down. It's God's word. Look, God only wrote one book. We got to study it. We got to read it. We got to immerse ourselves in it. We got to proclaim it. We got to love it. He only wrote one book. It's not that complicated. It's in here. What you need is in here. It's not out there. It's certainly not in here, let me tell you. You need God's word. This was the greatest moment in Peter's life, and he was ready. He was ready. Are you ready to share God's word with people? Are you ready? Are you full of the word? Are you full of the Bible? Or are you full of something else? Spirit-filled people are word people. Spirit-filled people are word people. I was at a wedding last weekend, and I was meeting some people that I didn't know, and so got to meet some new people, and as I was striking up conversation with them, we were talking about the kinds of churches that we were in. And this one individual said, well, I'm part of a Bible church. And I thought, well, that sounds great. I said, what's a, what's a Bible church? And I knew what he meant, but I just wanted to have him tell me. Well, he said, well, we're really, we're really big on the word, but, you know, worship is not that great, and our, our, there's really no room for the, the, the Holy Spirit to move in our meetings and our gatherings. We're a Bible church. And I just thought, why is it that on one end of the spectrum we have a you know, spirit-filled churches where people are swinging off the chandeliers and, you know, Jericho marches. And, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we have word churches. And it's like, we need to be both. We, we need the word of God. We need to be grounded in the word of God. We need to have our feet firmly planted in the word of God. So that we don't try and jump up on chandeliers. And God's word governs how we use the gifts and express the gifts. But spirit-empowered people are word people. And word people should be spirit-empowered people. These, 
It shouldn't be two ends of the spectrum. They, they should be one and the same. So that a Bible church is a spirit-filled church, and a spirit-filled church is a Bible church. Amen. It shouldn't be one or the other. It should be both and. Anyway, people who are filled with God's spirit have a desire to share the word of God. Point number three, spirit-empowered people share the gospel. Share the gospel. And when I first wrote this point, I didn't have this. I I had that spirit-empowered people tell people about Jesus. That's what I had here when I first wrote my draft for this sermon. But it's not enough to tell somebody Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. While that is certainly true, it's not enough. While it is certainly true that Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life, that will not produce salvation in someone's heart. That the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, is more than simply Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And so Peter, he shares the whole gospel. And I want to read again these verses for us from Acts 2 that Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. Listen, not only do we need to tell people about Jesus, but we need to share the gospel with them. And the gospel message, the good news, it always contains in it the bad news. For for the good news to be good, People must understand where they stand before God without Christ. And the Bible is so abundantly clear that without Christ, all of humanity stands before God condemned in sin, awaiting sure and certain judgment. People need to be aware of their need for Christ. Their need for Christ is not simply to help them have a better marriage, although Jesus can certainly do that. Their need is to be forgiven and set free of sin and the power of Satan and to have their sins washed away so that they can stand before God justified. Their their need is not simply to get their life on track and to find purpose and meaning, although certainly Jesus will do this, that your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven, to be born again, to be filled with God's spirit, to be in a right relationship with God through his son Jesus. And for for people to be born again, the gospel must be shared. This is God's goodness. This is man's brokenness and, and man's breaking of God's law. This is God's love that pursues broken humanity and the person of his son 
This is the sinless life, the atoning death, the resurrection, and the soon and imminent return of Christ. This is the gospel that we must share and preach and proclaim boldly. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it is the only power of God unto salvation. Listen, if you want to see salvation come to your family and to your loved ones, it will come through sharing the gospel. It will come through sharing the gospel. We cannot water it down. We cannot water it down. Number four, spirit-empowered people speak with supernatural boldness. Peter calls this crowd, which 50 days earlier, that's like a month and a half, was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus call, uh, Peter calls this crowd to repentance. He says, you crucified Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah. You must repent of your sin. You who have been against Christ, you must turn and receive and embrace Christ. What boldness. Peter doesn't know if they're going to get the pitchforks out and torches and crucify him in this moment. But he doesn't care because he's filled with the Spirit of God. And to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He knows that the worst thing that anybody can do to a child of God is punch their ticket to heaven the most wonderful and glorious place you could ever imagine. That's the worst thing that anybody could do to you is usher you into the presence of God. And with this understanding and, and with our feet firmly planted on the truth of this fact, filled with the Spirit of God, we proclaim the gospel with boldness, calling men, calling women, calling children to repent of sin and to trust in Jesus Christ, who is their only hope. There is no other hope for the world but Jesus Christ. Supernatural boldness. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but as Jeff said, a spirit of power and love and sound mind. The Holy Spirit is the power of God in our lives fills us with supernatural boldness. Not a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of the sky is falling. Not a spirit of doom and gloom. A spirit that, that knows, as, as, Peter, as Peter explains so, so beautifully and eloquently, the divine plan and foreknowledge of God there's, there's God who's ruling and reigning on the throne. I, I don't have to live in fear. I'm one of his children. He's going he's gonna to take care of me. 
He's going to make sure that, that everything works out the way it's supposed to work out. And in the end, I'm going to be with him for all eternity. Whatever process that, that takes me there, I'm just glad he's going to get me there. Whatever doorway through which I have to enter heaven, it's not of any consequence whatsoever. Does not matter. The only important thing that matters is that while we're here, we run our race. While we're here, we put our shoulder to the plow. I know that doesn't mean anything for anybody here, but it's in the Bible. That we work hard that we labor for Christ and for his kingdom and not get distracted with so many inconsequential and trivial things. Finally, number five, spirit-empowered people impact eternity. It says on that day there was added to the church about 3,000 souls. Wow. I know we read this story and we see what Peter did and we're kind of in awe of this moment. We're in awe of this sermon. We're in awe of this revival. But don't forget who Peter was. He's not some sort of alien from outer space who, you know, has superpowers. He is a flawed, broken person with his own issues, like you and me. But he's full of the word of God. He's full of faith. And he's full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And he steps forward in boldness. And I want to tell you that if you will live a life that does these four things, going to where people are, caring about people, loving people, not just having church, but out there being the church. If you will be people who are full of the word, ready to share the word. If you're someone who is committed to proclaiming the gospel and, and, and to speaking it boldly, you will impact eternity. You will have an impact on eternity. If we're going to have an impact on eternity, we have to be committed to the first four things. There's just no other way around it. There's no shortcuts. But if we will make this the aim and the goal of our lives, let me tell you something. They're going to write stories about what happens here at Destiny Church in San Antonio, Texas. That there would be such a radical sweeping move of God that would sweep across this city if God's people would get on fire for God, get on fire for his word, passionately filled with his spirit. If you look at that list and you, you say, you know what, ah, man, I just, I feel like I'm lacking in one or two or three or four or five of these areas. You know what you need? You need more of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. If you look at that list and you say, I'm kind of lacking here, I'm kind of lacking there, I don't have the boldness like I should, I don't, I'm not full of the word like I should be. I, uh, uh, look, 
don't worry, you're just like Peter. Don't worry. You just need more of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That's all you need. That's all you need. And there's three ways, and only three ways, that I know to increase the work of the Spirit in our lives. And it's through prayer, studying the Word, and Christian fellowship. You want to increase the Spirit's work in your life? These are the three things you got to be about. Prayer, Word, and fellowship. This is it. You say, Matt, it sounds like you talk about that a lot. That's the only thing that works. Being a person of prayer. Being a person who is in the word. And and when I have word there, it's not just hearing it, it's doing it. Who's committed to obeying God's word. And thirdly, committed to the fellowship of Christian believers. Doing this will increase exponentially the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will put you on a fast track to growth and to eternal impact. And it just so happens that this is exactly what this brand new church devotes themselves to. And it just so happens that that's exactly what we're going to talk about at church next week. So if you want to know more about these things, come back next Sunday. That's what we call a segue teaser. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I am desperate to see a move of God in our city. Our, our city, San Antonio, God loves this city. God loves your neighbors. God loves your family members. God loves your coworkers. But the devil is having his way. He is wreaking havoc in their lives. And it should make you mad. It should make you mad to see what the devil is doing to families and to people today. And when that rises up, it should push us, propel us into prayer, into seeking God on behalf of our family members, our coworkers, the people that we love dearly. So as a point of application today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down the names of five people that you're believing God that he would save in 2020. Five people. You should have a piece of paper. Maybe you don't have a pen. Maybe you can do it on your way out or punch it in your smartphone. Five people that you're believing God to save in 2020. Is that asking God for too much? No, in fact, it's asking him for much too little. But I don't got time for us to write down 20 people's names today, okay? If you will write down these five names, and if you will daily take these people before God in prayer, asking him, interceding for them, I guarantee you God's going to work in their life. I guarantee you he will. Why? Because God wants to save souls. This is what he is about. And God will give you an opportunity to do it. I, I encourage you. As your pastor, I command you to write down five names and pray for them every single day. Put it on your dashboard of your car. Put it on your refrigerator, that place you frequent the most often. Uh, put, it, put it everywhere you are so that everywhere you go, you are praying for these people. And you know what will happen? These people will start coming to you.
They'll say, man, this is going on in my life. And you can say, you know what? I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with you. God will open their hearts, but it's only through prayer. It's only through a moving of the Holy Spirit. It's not through tricks and, and, and what, what's another, uh, tips and, and just like this nonsensical carnal stuff. The Bible says we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual forces of darkness in high places. If God's going to work in our family, it's only through prayer. It starts with prayer. It doesn't end there, but it starts there. So I would encourage you to write down those names and to begin taking them before the Lord in prayer. And watch how God will begin to move. Watch God move. I guarantee you that he will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you have poured it out upon us, your church. Lord, help us to, to be your people, to, to arise in this time, in this day, in this season, in this age, Lord, in the place that you have placed us. Lord, it's not an accident where we are. It's not an accident into the family we were born in. It's not an accident the places that we work. You've called us to be witnesses. You've given us your spirit to empower us to share your word with boldness. Lord, as we've thought about and written these names down today, Lord, we've asked that you would bring salvation to their families, to their home, to their heart, to their soul. Lord, the work of the enemy in Jesus' name, we condemn it, we speak against it, we, we break it down, we tear it down in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would give us opportunities this week, this month, this year, to share the gospel. Lord, not just that you love us and you got a plan for us. Of, of course, we know that that's true, but Lord, that you died to save us from our sins. Lord, that we can have new life through faith in you. We can be set free from the power of the devil. Give us opportunities. God, move in our city. Give us opportunities to share with people, to pray with people, to plant seeds, to water seeds. Lord, we do it in faith knowing that you're the one that brings the increase. You're the one that makes the seed grow. But we've got to be faithful to plant and we've got to be faithful to water. So Lord, we step out in faith doing our part, asking for you to do your part. 